Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. You can now subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash thedirectorscut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Roger Ross Williams' new documentary feature, Life Animated. The film tells the story of Owen Suskind, the autistic son of Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Ron Suskind and his wife Cornelia. Unable to speak for years, Owen memorized dozens of Disney movies and turned them into a language to express love, loss, kinship, and brotherhood. The family encouraged Owen's love of Disney films, eventually learning to communicate with him through Disney dialogue and song. Following a DGA documentary series screening of the film in Los Angeles, Mr. Williams spoke with director Robert Whitey about the joys and challenges of making life animated. Listen on for highlights from their conversation, including the process of licensing the clips of the Disney classics that were included in the film, and how he worked with a hand-drawn animation company to bring Owen's imagination to life. Enjoy. I swear this will get professional as we yeah, as we go on. Yeah, more. We're tired. We were late, and then I blanked out on your name. I left New York at 5 a.m. this morning. So You've got a good excuse. Yeah, so you're I'm jet really, lagged. I'm really. <laughs> And we both After just had pasta and you had wine. So if he falls asleep, don't, don't blame yourselves or me. Um, I didn't see it just now, but I saw it a couple days ago. And it's a wonderful film. And congratulations on the, all the success. Best Director Award at Sundance. Best Documentary Director Award at Sundance this year. And the film, yes, you bet. Thanks. And you open theatrically this weekend, correct? Friday. Yes. We've been, um, doing a, we've been doing a lot of press, yeah. as you can, as you, you know. You have a, a, yesterday we did The View with Whoopi. Owen went on with Whoopi Goldberg on The View, which was uh, pretty exciting. Look how much they like The View, these people. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, is there, there's, th you said there's a piece coming in the LA Times. Is that going to be Friday? It was Sunday. Oh, it was. Sunday. Oh, was I a, missed it. Page and a half, it was great. Oh, yeah. my wife hasn't thrown it out yet, so I'll still be able to see it. <laughs> we throw it out one week later, because I'm always missing stuff. Now, let me ask you, um, Roger Ross Williams, you have three <laughs> names. Um, <laughs> when, when one shoots uh, a documentary, or a verite documentary, let's say, there are sort of two schools. There are the people who have a story that they want to tell, something that's already happened, and then there are the people who jump into a story, not quite knowing where it's going to go. You sort of have a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. So when you when you started this, what what did you think your story was, and where did you think it was going to take you? Because there are probably some knowns and some unknowns, right, as to where this was going to go. Yeah, there was a lot of knowns because so so this is a book by um, Owen's father, Ron Suskind, called Life Animated. The bestseller book, and um, but the book is all takes place in the past. So, so what I wanted to do was really pick up where the book left off, 
and um, so when I was sort of talking to Ron um, about how you know what happened is I know I've known Ron for fifteen years, and um, so I knew the family and. Uh, he came to me when he was writing the book and said, um, you know, I think this would make a good film, and I agreed. So and you latched on to the book before it was even published? Before it was even published. Oh, cool. Yeah. I read The Galleys. And, um, but I knew I didn't want to just, because the book is all in the past, so I didn't want to tell that you know tell that story and retread the path so Owen was going about to go through this really transformative year in his life he was about to graduate from a college you know, it was autism college he was about to move out and be independent on and live on his own um, he had fallen in love and and so so I knew that it was gonna I was gonna hit all of these sort of moments, these beats in the story that are universal. Everyone graduates, everyone has, moves out on their own, hopefully everyone falls in love. And so I knew that, that I, there was, you know, was going to be the final Disney club that he started in his school. So I knew that, so these, that's how I sort of, sort of figured out the, sort of the arc of the story. I didn't know necessarily how it was going to end. I didn't know they were going to break up. Um, and so, so that was good. And then, and then I decided to tell the 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 part of the book, the backstory, in in sort of flashbacks. Um, and I and they had a lot of home movies, so that was really great because I had the the you know the home movies to carry me through. Um, and then um, I created the animation, which is the line drawing animation, um, as a storytelling device. I went to Paris um, and to work with these animators in France. It's a company called McGuff, and I really liked what the the sort of two D animation the French were doing are doing amazing work in two D animation. And I saw this Oscar short called The Dam Keeper, and I just loved it and I so I I had to suffer and go to Paris a lot and there's this it was an amazingly and a documentary budget uh, well you know it's A&E indie films so the, so you know they're, they're yeah, someone behind you yeah um so I um worked with these just incredible young French animators um and we did so we I decided early on to create sort of two different types of animation. Sort of we call the backstory animation, which are the line drawings animation, which tell the backstory, um, and then the fully realized, you know, sidekick story animation, um, which was very complex to to make. We can, yeah, I can talk about that. But well, uh, I mean, you sort of answered it. But how, did did you did you? Did you, I mean, there are many different ways you could go stylistically with animation. So I was going to ask you if you looked at a lot of things and chose something, but you were drawn to this kind of animation that you had seen coming uh, out of it, France. Then. The animation, so the whole film, the idea is that, you know, you, the, I want to bring the audience into Owen's world and that, the, and that the story is told from Owen's point of view. So, you know, so many films about people with disabilities are told from the outside looking in and this and I wanted to tell the story from the inside looking out and I wanted to bring the viewer um, as it progresses you know when you when the film starts out you see Owen pacing and self-talking and you're uncomfortable but by the end of the movie he's pacing and something you know exactly what's going on in his head and you're in his immersed in his world so the animation which is the sidekick story needed to be Owen's creation it couldn't be Disney like um, 
and it needed to be sort of ethereal. It needed to, to be this sort of experience where there's no dialogue because you, it takes you into, this, into his mind. And um, what we did was um, I worked at Skywalker with Al Nelson and um, Pete Horner, uh, and we created this sort of sound design and soundscape using Owen's self-talking. So I had this amazing composer who's this 23-year-old kid from Portland, Oregon named Dylan Stark. And um, I wanted it to be a kid that's Owen's age to compose that because I wanted someone who really experienced um, Disney animated films, had the same experiences as Owen, and he used that. He's an electronic music composer, and he used that in his music. So he took Owen's self-talking, he took um, the sound of VHS tapes fast-forwarding and rewinding, and he created sort of a a soundscape around that. And then we did all this natural foley. He, we went out into the woods and it was really, and he was so talented. And so the sound design is as important as the visuals. And it really had to be sort of Owen, you know, Owen created that, that story. He, that was the last chapter in the book was the sidekick story. Owen created that story and Owen created that world, that monster fuzzbutch is a monster that makes your head fuzzy. You know, it's a symbolic of the autism. Um, so it was really about bringing his world to life. And, then, and in the film, about a third of the way through, once you get to know Owen, once you start to sort of know who he is, you're ready to go sort of deeper into, the, into his inner world, which is the sidekick story. And when you're, when you're shooting a verite film over you know, a fairly long period of time, more than a few weeks or whatever, you, you know that you can't be there, I assume you can't be there every day. So how do you know going in what days are going to be filming days? And what are, do you, is there some discussion beforehand, oh, Wednesday he's gonna move into the apartment for the first day or whatever? And then tell me a little bit about um, just the logistics of your, your crew and the crew size and how did Owen take to having a crew follow him around on his day-to-day -day life? Yeah, well, Owen was an ideal documentary subject because he lives in the moment. So he is living in his, in his head and in his own world. So he pretty much forgets the cameras there and ignored the um, So it was important that I had one DP that really, you know, Owen likes routine. So that it was one person that became part of the family. And my DP, Tom Bergman, really, really kind of, embedded himself in the family and in Owen's world and Owen just kind of forgot he was there and there's these you know obviously there's the big moments like graduation you know the day he moves in, into the apartment on, on his own and that was really interesting because Owen um, that night um, I left and let Tom and Owen just be in the apartment. So Tom is kind of in the corner and Owen's pacing around and he's looking for his pills and he's, um, and Tom is there in the corner and then Owen goes to bed and he watches the Bambi scene, which is like amazing. And he, and then um, he falls asleep and Tom sneaks out and then he comes back at like six in the morning. He sneaks back in, he has a key, he sneaks back in and he's standing over Owen when he opens his eyes for the first time and Owen never looks at the camera. You know, he's he just he's in his his world. So it was kind of like an, an ideal situation. Um, and then you know, there's, you know, there were those beats, those moments like graduation and stuff. But then there's you know, the, always always the unexpected stuff like the breakup. You know, that was 
pretty devastating for the family, for Cornelia especially, was so hard. And it was like, do I continue to film? Because it was so emotional for her. She's so protective over Owen, and she's such a unbelievably loving and caring mother. It was really painful for her. But um, they said, you know, when we they decided to make this film, that it was about showing everything. It was about really being honest about the struggles and what their life is like. And they said, just keep going, just keep filming. You know, the film is it's captivating from the first frame. But the moment where I really thought this is this is masterful was the uh, the juxtaposition of um, uh, him talk. Well, we see the clip from Peter Pan. And then we see him and his father on the front yard, you know, with the swords, and he says he's Peter Pan. And it's just interesting, the thematic connections between the Disney films and what's going on and Owen's life. And, and in a weird way, it made me rethink all those Disney films yeah. in terms of... Yeah, I didn't of, even like Disney. Yeah, I, you know, I just thought... <laughs> I don't, yeah. But yeah, they're, they're, and, and that's sort of the first clue, because Peter Pan is about a boy who doesn't grow up. And then there are other Disney films which are about making your way on your own and believing in yourself. And his ability, whether uh, consciously or not, to pick up on those things and how they relate to his life and then your uh, ability to sort of convey those within the course of the documentary is really quite extraordinary. Well, they're his, you know, the sidekicks from the Disney animated films are his guides. You know, they they guide him through his life, and and he learned to he learned emotion. He learned to decipher and figure out the world through these through these films. So he goes back to them constantly to to express himself and and what he's going through. Um, so that was so the what I did was I interviewed Owen. Um, you know, sort of how do you interview someone who has um, autism? Like he he I couldn't sit down. He's not going to. Make con he's not going to be able to keep looking at me and have that kind of contact. So what I did was I used an Interatron, which is um, you know the camera Earl is that Morris, the Earl Morris yeah. or the Earl Morris camera. So Owen is. Um, we, we should, yeah, oh, go ahead. You're going to explain. I was going to say we should explain. explain. No, no, you go ahead. You were there. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> it's it's sort of like a teleprompter kind of with a but you're but you're seeing me instead of words on the screen so Owen is looking at a screen and he's looking at me on the screen now Owen has spent his whole life looking at a television screen so I thought if I'm on screen he'll be able to look at me and he's looking the audience directly he's looking directly into the camera so the, cam Owen, the camera's actually behind the screen he the, can't see the, the camera's camera. actually behind it's more screen. complicated yeah. but yes the camera's behind the screen. And so he's looking directly into the camera. So he's the only one in the film that looks directly at the audience. So you are immediately taken into his his world and everyone else is sort of standard, you know, his, his parents are standard documentary off camera style. So Owen is looking, so what I would do is, Owen would, he was fascinated by the fact that I was on the screen. I was in another room and I was on the screen. That's kind of genius, and, I and have to would, say. That was a great move. So he would look into the screen and he would answer questions and, and tell his story. And then, but I was afraid he would get bored, you know, if, it, if the interview went on for too long. So what I did was, in between questions, I would play Disney clips on the screen. So I had a switcher and I'd switch. And he would interact with the clips and I was like, this is amazing. So he would mimic the words, and in a sense, the audience is inside the Disney clip, 
and then, in a sense, inside his head. And that's why people don't, I don't know, a lot of times people don't even realize the, the, what's going on, that they're, that they're inside the clip. And it has this effect. So when you see the Peter Pan sword fight, he's mimicking the moves of the mm. sword exactly to the screen. And when you see the hunchback scene where he's reacting to the, to the scene where the hunchback is being tortured and bullied, it's like, and, he's, and you see the pain and expression on his face, it's like you're in the film, you're engaged and you're, and you're in a sense in his head. So he, uh, now I assumed when I watched the film that, he, that you would put on a DVD of those films for him to watch, but you're actually showing those clips interspersed with your own questions too. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to try that next time I interview people for documentaries. <laughs> keep Show them, them Disney clips just to keep them, you know, <laughs> alive and awake. Well, you, you, admit, you had mentioned what you felt was sort of the universality of this story, and, and that occurs to me too, that even if you take away the Disney element, if you take away the autism element, you still have a very likable character going through a very universal sort of uh, transition or a coming yeah. of age. It was story. really important that this is not an autism film, that this is a coming of age story and that this is really Owen's hero's journey. You know, a kid who came from not being able to speak at all to living on his own and, and, and going through, but that I hit all these universal notes. In, and it was a film, it's a film about growing up and what it means to grow up and become an adult. And, and his parents have to let go. And um, he has to go through the trials and tribulations of you know, being an adult, breaking up. Um, and, and that's where Disney stops and the world <laughs> starts. And you know, like when we say life is not a Disney movie and he has to, he's confronting sex. And that scene with Walt is really key in his big brother giving him advice. You know, there was one point where someone, um, some executive said, oh, that makes me uncomfortable, take that out. And I was like, absolutely not, because that is Good what, you, yeah. that's, that's what he's experiencing, and that's what he, that's part of life, you know, that's where the, that's life, you know, life is not a Disney film. So I wanted to show all of that, um, you know, yeah. he has, you know, to show it all. My, my big brother never taught me about the role of the tongue and kissing, I had, to, <laughs> I had to find that out the hard way, but. <laughs> It all worked out. Um, <laughs> what, um, uh, how, it occurs to me, you know, he, he writes the story, the, 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 um, the, the land of the lost sidekicks. Am I getting the title right? Yes. Okay. And then you essentially made that film. So in a sense, this kid is now a writer who's had a script of his made. He's had a script what, of his, yeah. yeah <laughs> what, what, was, what was his reaction to seeing your execution of his story in the animation? He, um, well, so Owen and Ron saw the film first, um, a rough the cut. The completed the com uh, He saw like a pretty far along rough okay. cut, like second or maybe third. And, um, and then he, Owen came in and it was really scary because if Owen didn't, like the film, we wouldn't have a film. You know, it would have been a problem for everyone. And um, I was a nervous wreck. And he, um, when, after he finished watching the film, he jumped up and he hugged me mm. and said, I love it. He doesn't hug, you know, like it's not a, a, a trait of someone with autism. And it was so, it was amazing. And so he's asked a lot. He's been going to, he's been pretty much on the road going to film festivals since Sundance. And he's always asked, um, what he thinks of the animation, and he always says he's amazed <laughs> to see himself um, 
on screen. And he has really, you know, not only has he embraced the film, but he's thrived um, this whole process of the film festival circuit. Owen is like, he uh, he runs out, he runs, like the, there was this amazing screening, all the screenings are pretty extraordinary when he's there, but there's amazing screening at full frame where he's running down the aisle and he's high five, people are on their feet cheering, it's like a rock concert, <laughs> and he's high fiving people, and it's just, and he gets on the stage and he's like, I feel the love in this room. He knows how to work a crowd. He has learned, and he announces at every screening that he's looking for a girlfriend <laughs> in the Boston area who is into Disney and Disney Pixar. <laughs> Disney and Disney, Pix Disney yeah. Pixar. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's, he's, it's just been extraordinary. So his parents are just sort of blown away. And the other day, and the other day we were at um, the Nantucket Film Festival and he was surprised on stage after by Stephen Schwartz who wrote the music for The Hunchback. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, they, they surprised him with a number. And Owen's reaction, it was like the, the scene in the film where, um, where Gilbert Gottfried comes out. And Owen was just, he was in front of the audience. They were, everyone was in tears. And Owen stepped up to the microphone and said, I'd like to do a number, and just belted out this song from Hunchback so powerfully. <laughs> it was such an amazing moment. And I think, you know, um, because, you know, we've been, I think we've won seven audience awards. And I think it's, you know, it's because Owen is an amazing spirit and an amazing character, but it's also like when you see him after a screening, it's just an unforgettable experience. He's just thriving. How lucky is this kid that he's got the parents that he has? They're just amazing. You know, I would, I would say this is as much a film about parenting and about love. And, you know, they found, you know, a lot of times people will, we'll get a question, well, you know, what about people who don't have you know, the resources that they have? And I, I always say they didn't start out, he was a, Ron was a like a beat reporter. You know, he wrote books and won a Pulitzer Prize and ended up, you know, making a lot of money. But um, they, they found, a, any parent can find a pathway to their child. They, through love and because they were persistent and they went against what all the doctors said and they said, we're connecting, we, we found a way to connect with our child. And they did that because they loved their, him so much that they were determined to connect with him. And any parent can do that. Uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, as someone who's made a number of documentaries that involve film clips, I have to ask you the obvious question. Disney has been known for not being that, um, <laughs> Not forthcoming. What's the opposite? That that giving of their material to other filmmakers who want to use Disney clips in their film. I mean, for a Disney documentary, that's one thing. Um, tell me about the process of getting these clips. And could you have made this film without the clips if they had said no? I couldn't. I started um, filming and did not have. Um, I had not talked to Disney or approached them. And so how it happened, there's a whole article in Sunday New York Times about the process of how we pulled it off. And, and Disney actually, Sean Bailey did an interview about it. Um, but so um, Sean Bailey is a trustee of the Sundance Institute. He's on the board of trustees and I'm on the alumni board at Sundance. And Carrie Putnam, the, this, the head of the Sundance Institute, 
put us in contact with each other early on. And she's like, I've got to connect you. To I told her about this film I was gonna wanted to do. And she's like, you've got to connect with Sean Bailey. He's really great. So they were at a TED conference and he was sitting next to her and she texted me and she said, he's sitting next to me. Call me on my cell phone right now. <laughs> and I, I swear to God, and I called her and she put him on the phone and he's like, okay, um, come out to the lot and, and talk to me. So I flew out here, from, I live in New York, and I was so intimidated by the whole lot in the Seven Dwarfs building and the whole thing. I was like really intimidated. And I went to his, um, to the like. You were intimidated office. by the dwarf building. I was intimidated by the whole that whole okay. like that whole Roman esque yeah. thing with the stone. And it's just like the whole lot. Everything was. And I was because it's Those so are much. Giant I had so dwarves. much at stake. Dwarves, you know, I had been biggest. shooting. I had so much at stake, and I was. Um, really nervous, and I um, his office, his out, he has his outer office. There's these two assistants, and I, you know, by the two assistants, and I finally, and I went, got into his office, and it's this huge, it's like an apartment with all this art, modern art and stuff. And I was like, um, and you know, and he came around the desk, and he was like, um, you know, why, why you, why do you, you know, I told him why I wanted to make this film, and um, and you know, and. And then he paused and he said, you know, I think that it's, you know, I, I, the book, they, you know, there was a book and the book was published by a Disney imprint, um, Kingswell. And that's, and they, Ron had to go to Disney to publish the book because there was so much, Owen had, there was so much Disney material and Disney lines that no other publisher, Disney would have never let another publisher publish this book because Owen, basically they owned Owen because he was raised on Disney. So Disney agreed to publish the book, so they knew the story really well. And um, and I said why I thought I should do it, and he's like, okay. I went away. He's like, well, what's the story? What do you how, what do you tell me? What what's the film going to be about, or what's going? And I, you know, went away. And then he said, okay, I'm going to take this on. I'm going to personally um, shepherd you through the whole Disney you know, empire, basically. And so he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get all the heads of all the departments of Disney who many, who haven't really ever been in a room. Some of them didn't even know each other. The head of Disney legal, the head of marketing, the head of uh, animation, all in a room. Doc, and, dopey, grumpy, all of yeah. them. <laughs> and you're going to, and I'm, and you're going to, Take them through the film. You're going to take them on a on a journey and and basically pitch the film to them. So, I was so I could I was I had these index cards and I was shaking. <laughs> I was shaking. I actually lost place with one of the cards and I and I but I had shot Disney Club and I had shot Graduation and I sh and I started and the lights went down and I did my old rehearsed pitch with my producer Julie Goldman, who's my producer, and we were doing it together and um and. Uh, I showed, by the time the lights came up, they were all in tears. Mm. And they were so moved, they were like, we didn't know that we could change a life. They know how, the, how their work is such a part of the culture, but not like that. And they were just moved and I had them. Wow, well done, yeah, you bet. Um, you had, uh, you said that you had known um, Owen's father, Ron, from previous work. Tell us a little bit, I'm sort of working backwards here, this would be a good opening question, but I'm doing it towards the end. Is, tell me about That's the good. transition from being a um, uh, uh, television journalist and producer to working your way into documentaries. 
Um, yeah, so I always say I'm a recovering journalist because I really didn't like being a journalist because I couldn't tell the stories I wanted to tell. And I um, and I got you know all all the all I kept getting like censored by the network executives because I would tell the truth and they didn't want to hear the truth, and um, so I quit you know and I went um, I took my I took five thousand dollars I had in the bank and got on a plane and went to Zimbabwe and made music by Prudence and it happened to win the Oscar. Yeah. So that started me. So I got lucky. That's a pretty good start. Yeah. One. <laughs> yeah, I was all luck. I'm sure. <laughs> Um, and that's, you know, started my, you know, it wasn't like, but even after that, it wasn't like, you know, my phone was ringing off the hook or agents were calling or anything. I still had to struggle to make, you know, my next film. Um, but, you know, so that's how it's, that's how it started. And, and I, you know, well, I guess. I, I just have to interject this for a second because I was shocked when I was doing some research and I read about that Oscar where I, I read that you were the first African American to win a directing Oscar, I thought that can't be right. And then I looked, and in fact, it was. I couldn't. Isn't that, that that's yeah. Yeah. The, anyway, the, it's the Academy for what it's worth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, you know, when when people like you know, I'm John, a middle-aged white Jew. I can't get into the Academy. Go figure. So, it's all flipped on its ear now. I don't know what to do. <laughs> that's uh, well, especially now with the diversity. You yeah. have to, you know, I missed my window. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I when I it was when I first got in the academy, and um, I became I started um, I got appointed to the executive committee, and I was like in the room with all of a sudden with you know Michael Moore and Alex Gibney, and I was sitting at the table with that. And I was like, I felt like a fraud. I was like, what am I doing here? Like, I can't believe it. I was so intimidated. Um, and now I'm running for governor of the academy, mm. and I just got—I just made the first cut. I got voted, you know. So now it's the, you know, I, I made the primary. I won the primaries. <laughs> now I'm in the general election. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> Good. Well, uh, you're, I'm sure you're going to be fundraising soon to keep your campaign going. I don't think they need any money. No. All right. So <laughs> I cut you off. So, so you got the Oscar for uh, name of the picture was um, music by Prudence. Music by Prudence. Okay. And then, uh, so by the, so that was the first one. And then what what followed that? Uh, God loves Uganda. Okay. Um, and is this the, is is Life Animated the third yeah. feature doc? So God okay. loves Uganda, um, uh, which is about the um, anti homosexuality bill in Uganda, but it's really about oh, American yeah. evangelicals who go to Uganda, who can run the country of Uganda and go to Uganda to implement biblical law. And, and have controlled it for 30 years um, because they've lost the culture war in America and, and are winning it in Africa. So, um, and at the expense of Africans. So it was a very intense film. Yeah. And after that film, which premiered at Sundance and we had an amazing run with that film, but after that film, I was so traumatized that I, wanted, I needed to do something completely uplifting. Mm -hmm. So I said, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go to Disneyland, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and how, from the time that you uh, first started filming, or say first approached Ron about this, until the film was completed, how long a period of time was that? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah. That's a good commitment. Yeah, documentaries take commitment. You know, you you have to be passionate about it, otherwise you'll never make it through. Right. You know. Yeah, it's hard enough I even mean, when you love the subject. With God Loves Uganda, it was one of those films where you know it's like all grants. It's like you're constantly writing grants and shooting and going back. It's just like this sort of struggle. Um, but 
because that film was successful, I could with this film I could just go to A and E and they just it's just one funder. It's just like done. Yeah. Which and, is amazing. And they were that even before you started shooting, they were already on board and you I were fine. Oh, so I um uh Julie my So that was in essence I, the first pitch was to them. Right? The first pitch was them. Julie and I optioned the book from Ron, the documentary rights, not the feature right. rights. Um, and uh, and then we, I think the next day we went to A and E, and within 24 hours, wow, they signed on. Well, everyone was smart about this because <laughs> it's a no lose situation. What's next? Besides your governorship, mm -hmm. you're you're. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm sort of a little bit diving into the narrative world, um, and uh, um, sort of just reading scripts. I finally got an agent, you know, and I'm <laughs> reading scripts and writing a script and we'll see. But I'm, I'm also doing a film, a documentary for CNN Films and the BBC about my, it's a very personal documentary, which is sort of like a way, sort of, it's like a personal essay on mass incarceration and all of my friends who I grew up with and many of my family are caught in the cycle of mass incarceration. And I live in this world now where I stay at the Four Seasons and do talks like this. And I um, haven't connected with, I, I've left them behind. So I'm going back to really explore what is going on in my community. You're going to kill your Disney buzz. <laughs> I know, I'm going to go, go I know, go I'm back like, I have to, you know, it's camp. like a roller coaster. It's like up and then down. Life is not a Disney <laughs> film. Life is not a Disney <laughs> film. <laughs> well. Congratulations on this and good luck on the theatrical Thank opening you. and thanks for sharing it with all of us. Thank you. Roger, Ross, Williams, all three names. Thank you everybody. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. You can watch more discussions like this on our website or our YouTube channel. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Director's Cut on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.